morning, guys. I'm Mike Orloff. I'm the youth, youth pastor here. Uh, pastor Casey and wife Dawn are, are uh, taking the Sunday off, uh, resting uh, in, in his word, resting uh, one another to be recharged, to come back to love on you guys another week. So you got me today. Um, the, uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm excited about that, you know. But so, man, what month is it? You know, like seriously, I'm like, I'm like feeling like I saw some meme earlier on social media. It was saying something like, you know, I understand physically it's August, but I'm still mentally in March. That's, that's how I'm feeling right now. It's like a blur's day in, in April or something like that. It's just weird, you know? And, and all the routines that we have, all the routines that we do, they're all just mixed up right now. They're not happening for me, at least. I'm having a lot of trouble with it. And uh, I'm like... I'm a, I work at a college, so we have these different little cultural things, too. And one of the things that they have is when a new student comes to college for the first time, they have something called the freshman 15. You guys ever heard of that? It's basically you go to college for the first time, and because you're not having to go to PE all the time and have to run that mile, you put on what's called the freshman 15 pounds, right? I did that. I had my freshman year a long time ago, and I put that on. But I feel like now I'm putting on the COVID-19. It's like extra weight is coming on, you know, extra weight is coming on because of this craziness, man. But what's interesting is my routines are all messed up. But I will say there's some cool things that are coming out of it. Um, I've been watching specific kinds of programs and reading a lot more, different things that are just help, help me, uh, you know, kind of round out my thoughts and where I'm at and where the world's at and how I can – Reflect upon that. But one thing I really love, and I don't know if everybody in here likes it, but I love programs and books and articles about war history. Anyone like that? A few of you, right? It's, it's, it's weird. It's like, I don't know how, why I like it. I, I guess it's just to see how people operated in a different time and the strategies that they put in place and all the things that they do. And so I was watching this one recently. Um, because I watch, a, I watch, you know, a lot of them on either if it's on Vietnam or World War I. Um, but I watched one recently, and it was on different, like, battlegrounds and, 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 and places that uh, were under siege. And, and it was one was uh, specifically about the Rock of Gibraltar and Gibraltar. Anyone familiar with the Rock of Gibraltar? Gibraltar? Okay. So, Gibraltar. It's this space. It's a space just on the south tip of Spain, Right? And it's not even, but even though it's on the south tip of Spain, it's not even a Spanish territory, and more on that on a minute. But the power is that this peninsula, it rests on this Strait of Gibraltar, and you might put up that slide right now. It'll show the map on this. It's hard to see, but right where that square is, there's a little inlet of water that allows boats to come through so that they can gain access to all the other spots in the Mediterranean Sea and others. And there's all these nations that are obviously huddled by those areas. And the only way that people can get to it is from the Atlantic anyway, if you're going by sea, was through that Strait of Gibraltar. So whoever had power or control over the Strait of Gibraltar really was a great power because they could control all the trade routes. And, of course, everybody had things to trade throughout uh, history. 
And so if you wanted to trade and, and increase your trade with uh, different nations, you would need access. And that's how they did it. So of course, as you might imagine, being so valuable, this land, it was always under siege. What does that mean? That means everybody was always going after it. I want it. I want it. If I have it, then I'll have the control and I want it. So it was always under attack. Whoever controlled it at that time can honestly feel that they're under attack consistently. Always. It was so valuable. And up until the 18th century, history records 13 significant different times that it was under siege. And in 1704, the last of those 13 sieges, Spain ceded control to Great Britain, who was a, a, a major power at the time. So now Spain loses the, you know, the uh, Gibraltar, and so now Great Britain, even though Spain's right above it, Great Britain is in control of this little 2.5 square miles of peninsula. That's all it is. But Great Britain has it. Now, of course, I don't know about you. I have kind of a competitive spirit. When I lose things, I want it back. I want it back bad. I don't want, if somebody's taken something from me, I want it back. And I'll go, I'll go after it. So as you can imagine, Spain was very much the same way. They weren't happy with that arrangement. They didn't want to lose Gibraltar. So when the right opportunity arose, they would likely plan to take back that territory. And that opportunity came, guess when? During our Revolutionary War, during the American Revolutionary War, interestingly enough. And you can imagine why, probably. Because Great Britain was dealing with some ungrateful colonials over here in the Americas, trying to figure out how to handle these guys who are trying to declare independence on them. You know? And they were preoccupied. And a lot of Great Britain's resources were right there were focused on the Americas. So guess what Spain thought? It's my time. I'm gonna go in there. I'm gonna take Gibraltar because they're so focused and they're under attack over there in the Americas. The time is now to take Gibraltar. So they decided on June 16, 1779 that they were gonna declare war against Great Britain and they did. And shortly after that, what they decided to do was set up a blockade on that map near, you know, on the edge of Gibraltar on the west side so that no other groups, specifically Great Britain, would be able to get through. They would have to come through their blockade. And so of course, the people that were sitting in Gibraltar, the people there, when they ran out of food, rations, supplies, Guess who would need to bring them all the way up? You don't even see it on the map. Great Britain would. So how the heck are they going to get food? So what ends up happening is the blockades there to starve out Great Britain's resources, to, to, to make sure that they can't get rations, to make sure they don't get supplies. It was a great plan. They were going to win. No problem, right? Just 2.5 square miles. Great Britain's way far away. They set up ground forces, too, just north on the northern edge of the peninsula in Spain and started just throwing out attacks just to see how Great Britain would respond. There was no potential reinforcements coming on the ground. The only way they were getting reinforcements is if it was coming from the sea up by Great Britain, and they'd have to go through still that blockade. The likelihood was not going to, it's not there. And it wasn't like you could just take a red eye and show up in the morning, you know, to get there. If you're going on a boat, 
you're probably taking a couple months or so just to get from Great Britain down. So this little group, whoever the group was down in Gibraltar, they were, they were in trouble. You had the entire country of Spain right above them who could just take that 2.5 square miles in a heartbeat. And then they did those attacks, and guess what? Great Britain got through the blockades, actually captured some of the ships of Spain. They sent one small relief effort and got through. They actually took the food off the ships on Spain and gave it to their people in Gibraltar. Great Britain was able to break through the, the, the blockade. So Spain had enough. They were kind of like, that's it. We've been at this too long. It was like probably like three years. They, they had enough. They said, let's do this. They got France, their partners, and said, let's go ahead and take them out. So they partnered up. And history records it as something called the Grand Assault. They were going to launch a huge assault on Gibraltar. And the way that they set it up was that the Grand Assault would include 65,000 French and Spanish soldiers, 40 ships on the line, 40 gunboats. They actually built these new 10 floating um, batteries, which are kind of like floating gun islands, I guess is the way to put it. And they were prepared to take Gibraltar. And guess who, how much they were going up against with, with uh, Great Britain? 65,000 against 7,500. 40 gunships or gunboats and 40 ships on the line against, I think it's 12 gunboats. Surely, Great Britain will fall now. There's no way. No way that they're going to be able to go up against that. They have to falter, right? Wrong. Great Britain ended up destroying all those 10 newly invented batteries, captured one of the ships, and killed as many of the Spanish and French soldiers as they had themselves, 7,500. In all, after three years, seven months, and two weeks of a siege, Great Britain was able to hold on to the rock of Gibraltar. Fun fact here, guys. The siege, and I tell you all this history because I'm excited about it myself, but the siege was actually a factor in our own American, American Revolutionary War ending. They were waiting for news about this siege and see how it ended as they were negotiating the Treaty of Paris, which actually led to our own uh, treaty that ended up allowing us to become the United States of America. I think Green, uh, uh, Great Britain realized well, we're not winning that war over there in the Americas, but at least we can keep this over here. Let's just go to peace now before it gets too, we lose any more. And that's what happened. But the question I had is, this doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make logical sense. 65,000, 7,500, 40 gunships, 12 you know, gunboats, 11 batteries, none. And yet they still won. And their casualties were limited. It was like 300 total over three years for 2.5 square miles of land. It made no logical sense for them to win. They had all the disadvantages. They had no access to additional resources, right? They had to wait for Great Britain to come by sea, and they still won. How did they do it? How did they do it? Well, I'll tell you how they did it. The territory that they were hosting 
was fortified. Fortified. It was equipped to outlast the attacks. And you see the slide up here. I'll give, it's hard to see, but I'll, I'll share with you. There's a little like a elevation, pun intended, um, map here where it kind of shows what that peninsula looks like. And they call it the Rock of Gibraltar because there's a rock right there that rests on the eastern side of that peninsula. And that rock is nearly, it, it, it's nearly 1,300 feet high and it's sharp ridge. So no one's climbing that, okay? So if anyone tries to attack from the east side, they're not, they're not attacking. Because if they did, they would have to climb that ridge. And of course, as we know, Obi-Wan Kenobi would say to Anakin, I have the high ground. And when you have the high ground, nothing there. That was for Tommy. I always tell him when I'm up here, I'll give him something. Yeah, so. Um, so he had the high ground. In the north, there was a pear-shaped body of water that was blocking, like, by palisades, like these defensive fences. And they had underwater ditches and, and obstacles that prevented passage so no one could get, get them from the north. They developed hundreds of galleries. Those are, those are tunnels, thousands of tunnels, about 4,000 feet worth of tunnels that allowed, it was bomb-proof. And so if people try to bomb them, it didn't matter because the tunnels were underneath. They were able to maintain communications and talk to the people on the other sides of the northern defense or the, east, or the uh, western defense or the uh, southern defense. They were equipped. They were fortified. Even on the western side where it was flat, they still had, as you can see here, it's hard to see because at the edge it's a little cut off, but there's actually water at the bottom there. So if they were to try to land their boat on the shore, they still got to climb to get to the actual castle that the Moors put up there in 1710. It was fortified. So even if 65,000 people came and tried to take them, they couldn't take them because of the way that they set it up. They put what's called bastions, these, these um, armories, and just unloaded cannons as people tried to come in. They were so fortified, it didn't matter who tried to come. They were ready. On paper, it looks like they didn't have a chance but under the surface, they were protected by a fortress, an absolute fortress. A British Armed Forces Field Marshal named John Chapel, he referred to it one time as probably the most fought over and densely fortified place in Europe, probably the world. It even produced a common saying now, if you're solid as the Rock of Gibraltar, that means that it's an entity that is very safe or firm. The actual motto of the Royal Gibraltar Regiment, or Gibraltar, that area itself, is nulli expugnabilis hosti in, in Latin, which means conquered by no enemy. Or, what I like even better, no enemy shall expel us. Wow. To, to throw that tagline onto 2.5 mile, square miles of space and say that no one's gonna take these little, this little spot from me. That's a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement. They were fortified, they had a fortress there. The Rock of Gibraltar was a fortress because regardless of the odds set before it, it had innate physical and geological characteristics and other fortifications that an armed forces trusted in to stand the enemy siege. That's a, that's a long intro to tell you. I don't know about you, 
But the world we live in right now feels like it's under siege. It seems like there's continual attacks on people, effective attempts on sowing division, pernicious lies being lobbied about as truth, injustice, violence, death, and rage right now in this world. And it doesn't be, seem to be slowing down. Are you guys feeling that? I'm feeling that. It feels awful. I feel like I'm under siege. In my own home. At work. Out in the world. And it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. But I got to think of it to myself. As a follower of Christ, in times like these... Where can I go to remind me of the source, the source of truth? How can I be fortified like the rock of Gibraltar as my enemies continue to keep me under siege? Those I love and maybe those that are lost that I long to reach. The Bible is a good place to start and end. So let's go to Psalm 46. We're going to go to Psalm 46. I'm going to read it in its entirety first, and then we can break it down. We've been covering the Psalms the last few weeks. Pastor Casey's been doing that. And I just felt this one felt just right in with us right now. So Psalm 46. I'm going to go ahead and read from the English Standard Version. Here we go. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. God, or God, come, behold the works of the Lord. Come, behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Whew. The world is in troubling times. And if we are not prepared, we can fall into its trap. Thankfully, with God, we can fortify our posture to see victory while under siege, to see it through. How can we do this according to Psalm 46? I say, let's start with the B to be fortified. 
Let's break down this passage a bit further. So we'll pop up the next slide here. And, the, and basically, it says, again, for the first uh, five verses, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. The earth gives way. The mountains be moved. The heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. I'm going to start with that first. So the first B that we have to focus on is be fearless. Take comfort in God when things look bleak and threatening. Take comfort in God when things look bleak and threatening. In verse 2 of this, there's a therefore in there. It says therefore. It still says, oh, we probably moved it. But it says therefore, because it says, therefore we will not fear, right? So what I always like to do when I see the word therefore, if there's a therefore there, then we have to ask ourselves a question. What is the therefore there for, right? Well, if we look at it closer in verse 1, it says, well, because he is our refuge, which is a shelter when we feel exposed, and our strength when we are weak, when we don't have it, and also a very present help, Emmanuel, he's near, or in the Passion Translation, proven, a proven help. Therefore, because of all those things, therefore, we will not fear though or even as the world is falling apart. That's what the therefore is there for. To tell us that because he is our refuge, our shelter, a very present help, a proven help, that we will not. That's not, that's not a you should not. It's a will not fear because we can rest on the very things that he is, not who we are. Let me say that back. Let me say that one more time for the people out in the patio seating and online here. When, not if, guys, when even the biggest trouble comes, we will not fear because it says in Psalm 93.4, he is mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. And he is very present Again, a proven help in the, trans, in the Passion Translation, who will shelter us and provide strength to endure through the biggest of troubles. Will not fear. So the first B is be fearless. Verse four, it says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Verse five, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. You see, unlike the roaring seas that we heard in verses 3, the roaring seas that bring tremblings to the mountains, his river, his peaceful river, brings joy and delight. It doesn't scare us. Like you've seen that sometimes, I don't know if some of you guys have seen those waves that sometimes are so scary because they're so big and they crash against things. You're like, whoa, I wouldn't go out there. His river that he's speaking of, that covenant of grace, is peace, shalom, that we get to rest in, like the waters of Siloam, 
It brings comfort to see the peaceful waters. Some, some friends, uh, the Browns, and, and I've shared the story before, the Browns and my wife, we went out to Costa Rica once, and we went uh, white tube rafting, or whatever you want to call it, inner tube rafting. And we were excited about doing it. Then we went to the, 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 the entrance, and the rapids were just rough, rough. And my wife was scared. I can see it in her face. I don't see her scared of much, but I saw it in her face that day. She was scared. And I was like, babe, it's going to be okay. Just jump on in. We'll be okay. She doesn't want to do it. I say, you go first, and then I'll come after you, because the rapids were just coming together. She jumped in. She was able to come back up, so that's a good sign first, you know. I jumped in. I got up too. Perfect. We hit our first rapid, so it's one where it's going to come down a little bit. We all go. I think all of us fell. Did anyone last? I don't even know. On the first one, we all fell down, but we got back up, and we're like, okay, cool. And I'm like, see, you're good, babe. You're good. And she felt a little bit more confident. And then we kept going. And uh, we just kept going, and, and, and the next tide came, and she made it. She didn't even fall. And she was excited. I could see the confidence building up in her. She saw Daniel, and she saw Tina, and they were not falling as they kept going through the rapids. It was great. I could see she was building confidence. All of a sudden, she's like a white water rapids leader. I'm in the back there coughing up blood because I kept falling and hitting rocks and stuff. Seriously, it was an unbelievably awful experience for me. But I was glad that the Browns were there and she was able to be there and see that there was some confidence in that experience, you know? I share that. I share that story with you. I had a different story, but I think that story is a little fun for today. I might share another one. She was reassured. She was reassured, even though the rapids were strong, that eventually we'd get to calmer waters and it's easier then to feel good and to feel joy and delight. And I asked her in another time, I asked her when she had experienced something. And even this, I asked her why she wasn't afraid, why she wasn't shaken up. And she mentioned that she, she looked at the locals, because we had a subway experience too. She looked at the locals, and it's a different trip, but she looked at the locals and she said, well, they weren't scared of what was going on. So I didn't feel I needed to be scared. And I thought that's interesting logic. Because I guess if the locals who are there all the time and see that, if they were scared, then probably a good idea for us to also be like, wait, what's going on here, you know? But what I'm getting at is she gained confidence when she saw that there were others that weren't afraid and that they too were in the midst of whatever was going on. You see, it says that in verse 4, you know, we're in these rivers and they're so peaceful, but that Regardless of the situation, God is in the midst with her. And the her is the church. It's us. God is in the midst with her. And we can rest in that and not be afraid. See, with us, knowing God's character of staying with us through the trouble means we can be confident that the siege will not take us or move us. Let me say that again. Knowing God's character of staying with us through the trouble, he's not gone, he's there. We can be confident that this siege will not shake us or move us. That's being fearless. Let's move on to the next B. So we're going to go through the next few verses, 6 through 9 of 
of chapter uh, or of uh, 46 says the nations rage the kingdoms totter he utters his voice the earth melts the lord of hosts is with us the god of jacob is our fortress selah god behold behold or i keep saying god come behold the works of the lord how he has brought desolations of the earth he makes war cease to the end of the earth he breaks the bow and shatters the spear he burns the chariots of fire so the second b that I want you to focus on is to behold, behold, actively remember and study the great things that God has already worked for his church against its enemies. Remember and study them and praise him for it. Praise him for those things. We don't do this enough, people. We don't. We just don't do enough in times of craziness that's the time when we need to do it. Verse 6 tells us that while the world struggles against itself in confusion, wars, revolution, a lot of times aimed right against the church and the people of God, we can rest peacefully as they fail, as the earth melts at the sound of God's fortifying voice. And verse 8 tells us that we need to take part and study, marvel, and watch the works that he does on our behalf. He's like, come, take a look at this. See what I'm doing for you. How often are we keeping our eyes open to the very things he's doing on a daily basis? It says in Psalm 66, 5, Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. And it's also backed up in Psalm 111.2. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Love, verse 9, demonstrates his immense power. God's ability to halt wars absolutely halt wars and destroy the very things that were established to overtake us there's a prophecy in ezekiel 39 it's against uh, gog and magog which is a natural ruler in his land but we find out in revelations 20 uh, that uh satan is looking to bring them into his dominion as well anyway in ezekiel it says that the lord will strike the bows from their left hand and will make the arrows drop out of their right and Israel would use the weapons of their enemies as fuel kindling for fires that would keep Israel warm for seven years enough so much enough that they wouldn't have to take wood out of the field or cut down any forest Isn't that amazing I'm not going to even, God's like, listen, guys, don't worry about Gog and Magog. Don't even worry about them. They got all these weapons that they've been making. I'm not going to just knock them out of their hands. I'm going to take them, and you're going to use them as fuel to keep yourself warm. You say you're cold at night, I'm going to provide the heat for you. I'm going to provide the warmth for you. And you won't even have to exert your energy to cut down a single tree from the forest. Because what they have formed against you shall not prosper says in Isaiah, 
shall not prosper. The weapons formed against you shall not prosper. The very weapons that they used for our ruin, God used for Israel's refuge. Isn't that crazy? That's my God. He's so cool. When God speaks against our enemies, their attacks lose any firm footing. He destroys the plots and their weapons that are used against us. Again, Isaiah 54, 17. When we hear his voice and his works regularly, we recognize his works regularly, we are well positioned to not just stop from being overcome, but to be victorious. You know, uh, the worship, the praise and worship band, they had a song there that our victory, you know, is right before us. From the ashes of defeat. We were in the ashes of defeat, and we could still declare victory. That's how powerful he is. That he's going to, when we hear his voice, the very utterances of his voice, it actually takes away the firm footing of any footholds that are on us. You understand? That's how the enemy works. They, he he gets, gains a foothold on you, and he holds on to it until it becomes a stronghold, and then it overtakes you. So what we're called to do is remember and hear his voice, because if we hear his voice, then his utterance will melt the earth away. And then, of course, if you don't have your feet on stable earth, you don't have a firm footing. And that's what happens to the enemy's attacks when they try. If we hear and recognize our Father in heaven. The last B in be fortified says in verse 10 and 11, be still and know that I am the Lord. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So what's the last B? Be still. We've heard this one quite a bit recently, I think, as a church. Be still, meaning rest, 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 assured that God, who has glorified his own name, will do it again. He'll do it again. Keep your eyes on him. Watch him work on behalf of his children. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will do it again. Some of the songs that was shared by the group today, I know God was directly connecting with them because that last song, resurrected. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. By his spirit, I am alive. The ashes of defeat have nothing because I'm declaring my victory because of the resurrected king. It is so powerful. And I love another song about showing who God is in his faithfulness. Another song that they shared that I, I have confidence because of his faithfulness, not my own. I have confidence in knowing that good is ahead because of his faithfulness. That's another one of those songs. And then lastly, the one song I wanted to share with you, and I'm gonna share some of the lyrics, is by Elevation Worship, Do It Again. You guys heard that song? Great song. Here's some of the lyrics. Think about this. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall, but you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come, 
knowing the battles won, for you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence that you've never failed me yet. I've seen you move. This is the bridge, I think, because I'm not a musician. All right. Uh, I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way when there was no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. That song is written from the heart posture of, you've done so many things in my life. Why would I think otherwise, even as the, the world is coming apart? Why would I think otherwise? We need to, to harness that confidence. We've seen his good works in our own life, whether you've struggled, whether you, whether you have, whatever's going on in your life, whether you're worried about the illness, the virus that's out there, or you're worried about the, the, the division that's going on in this world, or you're worried about um, your family and things that might be happening to them. You've seen his works and you've seen him good for you. Then why would we think otherwise? If his character will and will remain the same, we can rest peacefully that this time will be no different. Why? You may have noticed a little trend in this psalm. It demonstrates a major indicator of being fortified. You find it in verses 1, very present. Verses 5, in the midst. Verses 8, come and behold. Verses 7 and 11, is with us. It's his presence. This entire psalm, the majority of this psalm, talks about his presence being the very thing that's going to fortify you. Not you. Unlike the Rock of Gibraltar, where they had to have people in their hands build these different things, it's God's presence and his son in your life that actually bring about the fortification for you. And the funniest part is in verse 10, to even go further with this thing is, he makes his own appearance in the verse. Quotes in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. He's talking. So at first we're talking about the Lord is great, the Lord is our fortress, the Lord is awesome, he's with us, he's present, he's all these things. And then God just shows up. The Lord just shows up and he says, hey, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted with such confidence and we can hold on to. He even made an entrance into the psalm at that point. Like, yeah, I love this. This is a great psalm. Let me talk to you a little bit further. It's great. So what's the major indicator for us, knowing that we can be fortified in times of trouble? Embracing his presence. Embracing his presence. So let's recap what we should do and what God will do to be fortified. And I have a little mistake on the slide, but I'll, I'll fix it right now. You can see, it's hard to see up here, but I'll try to speak it out. That's my little fortification castle. I'm not a great drawer, sorry. Um, but there's two sides here. There's the I will side and there's the God will side. And, and so it says this, and this is breaking down the Psalm. I will not fear, it says in verse two. I will not be moved in verse five. And that's probably the one that you don't see up there. I will not be moved in verse five because it says God is in the midst of her and she will not be moved. I will behold his works. 
I will be still. I won't fear. I won't be moved. I will behold his works and I will be still. And these are the things that prepare that, fortify that, and already were in place as God was working. And that is God will provide refuge. He'll provide a shelter. He'll provide strength when we're weak. He'll be present. It's all throughout that. He will help you when you're in your need, in time of need. He will bring joy. He will speak and remove footholds. And my, one of my favorite, he will cease wars. And you know what wars I'm talking about. Not just wars of the nations, but spiritual battles that are going on. He will cease them. He will destroy the weapons that were formed against us in hopes of prospering, but he will destroy them. He'll knock them out of their hands. He'll burn them up and use it for our fuel, for our own strength. And in the end, he will be glorified because no one's stopping him. No one's stopping him. In troubling times, it's troubling times. It really is. You can feel it, but we can fortify against them. Like the rock of Gibraltar was under that grand assault I shared earlier, it was not overcome. It was victorious because it was fortified. So the challenge I submit to each and every one of you and me is in the form of a question. How are we, how are you, how am I fortifying against the troubles before us are we being fearless in the face of them not because of who we are but because of who he is are we beholding his great works studying them marveling at them never forgetting them and praising him every time are we being still resting in his glory you see the rock of gibraltar is an amazing fortress that has stood the test of time. And yet the funniest part about it is we know this, as it said in Psalm 46, at the utterance of God's voice, the earth will melt away, the very footing that can keep the rock of Gibraltar standing. So even stronger than the rock of Gibraltar is another rock. And that rock is the rock that we stand on. Amen. That rock has overcome the greatest trouble. That overcame death and was ultimately victorious. So let's be fortified on the rock who is Christ, Jesus, so that we can yell, and I love that saying, yell from the rooftops, nulli expugnabilis hosti, no enemy shall expel us. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to be with my friends here. I thank you so much for the guests that are here today. I've seen some new faces. Thank you, Lord. You brought them here for a reason. I pray, Lord, that every single one of you in this group and those online and those in the patio, that you guys would feel the very presence of the Lord in these times of trouble that you would recognize 
the opportunity that's before you to be fortified on the rock that is Jesus Christ. I pray that whatever the troubles that everyone's facing, because there are different troubles for different people, that Lord, that you would make your presence so clear to them that they would know that you are working, that you are doing something mighty already because you're mightier than the waves of the sea. That while sometimes we can't see it because we are distracted, Lord, that you will open our eyes to that. That you will show us your good works and that we will build confidence in who you are and that we will know when troubled times come again because it's not if, it's when, people, that you will be there and do it again. So I thank you, Lord, for this time. And I pray that everyone here leaves this place stirred up to fortify on your behalf, to allow you to become their fortress. Yes, in Jesus' name, amen. Dance like David